0: Welcome to Sleep Talk Snapshots, bringing you the latest on sleep from around the world. So Ian, thanks for chatting with us and talking about sport and performance, and that's the area that you're working in. So just to start off with, what's some of the data that links sleep and sport?
1: so some of the data that we have at the moment um, across many different sports teams um, has been looking at sort of infield stuff like using actigraphy the amount of sleep that um, athletes get before games during the game and after a game for recovery so those three different periods some of the interesting data that we've been seeing at the moment that's kind of um, linking in sleep and performance is that before a game athletes tend to get more sleep the night before a game um, whereas after a game or after a competitive event athletes sleep seems to be reduced due to you know many different factors, whether being amped up or hyped up after a game, yep. uh, due to scheduling or traveling after a game as well, and then also the next few days recovery sleep can be impacted also after as well. Um, so we kind of see this sleep banking of somewhat or yep. in, increasing sleep more towards the get towards the game, yep. but then a decrease on the night after the game or a competitive event, and then a, a gradual recovery. So we see this kind of wave happening over a period during the season.
0: And if athletes aren't sleeping well, how does that translate into on-field or during-game performance?
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting. So across a number of different studies and different athletes we've been dealing with, um, so for example, when we look at combat sports with fighters, people in mixed martial arts or jiu-jitsu or boxing or so on, if they're not sleeping well or having a number of sleep disruptions uh, whether these being kind of um, seen in the actigraphy data or from doing PSG in the lab we see that next day, next day performance is impaired um, due to physical performance and um, cognitive performance and also just generally how they feel as well and how they train um, and this can also be affected by the next day scheduling so early morning scheduling may affect that as well and, and lead to a sort of an increase in in sleepiness or fatigue over a cumulative period of time so there's definitely a relationship between the amount of sleep that these are getting and how they perform whether it's how they think they're performing or how they're actually performing yeah. um, or how sleepy they may think they feel or actually how sleepy yeah. they, are, they are they actually are yeah from a scientific yeah. standpoint
0: and then what about in recovery so after performance what's the impact of if you're not sleeping well on recovery
1: yeah, so the recovery period is really interesting and when we're working with the Western Force at the moment um, in Western Australia who are the most travelled sports team and it's really interesting during a super rugby competition because they may have games back to back or they may have to travel so from Perth to South Africa back to Perth to New Zealand the east coast of Australia and now with Japan this year as well so the recovery uh, is, is a vital piece of the overall performance of the team and more time in the gym or more time in, on the field during the week is not necessarily translating to better performance in a game in that win loss metric so Given that ample opportunity for sleep and recovery during those times is really key. And obviously then there's been lots of published studies about the effect of sleep on recovery with cytokine release, inflammatory markers, um, uh, testosterone and growth hormone being released during stage 3 and so on. So if that's been reduced, obviously the athletes can't physically recover, recover
0: or, or recover from a mental standpoint when REM is being reduced also as well. So you talked a little bit about travel and gave Western Forest an example. So what's the team factors and how do you work on that if a team's got to cross a lot of time zones?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, out there at the moment, um, people are reading stuff, and they're getting to a new time zone and going, "Great, we'll just get out and get some light, and we'll, you know, we'll go train and we'll get into this new time zone," which is actually making some of these teams worse. So what we do is we've been using a lot of biomathematical modelling. Um, so, you know, there's different tools out there like FAST and FADES and so on. We use the FAST, the Fatigue Avoidance Scheduling tool from Fatigue Science in Vancouver. And we've been using that to model last season where we take the training times, we take the game times, we take a, we take a, a sample of 10 days actigraphy data and put that into the model as well. We take the flight times and we've modelled last season and we've actually used that then to extrapolate that to an effectiveness Measure to show their effectiveness when they're just awake, yeah. so they may be doing some extracurricular activities like vocational education or going to university or, or running a business. We've also looked at their effectiveness whilst they're playing a game, and we also looked at their effectiveness while they're training during the week as well from from those different training times. So, using those measures, then we've been able to um, model various countermeasures for next season, such as changing flights, training times increasing in sleep making manipulations to sleeping environment and so on we' we'll able to model those to demonstrate from a, a modeling perspective yeah. what these what these changes may bring about and so in next season we'll be actually deploying those countermeasures with the aid of the coach and the performance coach and then hopefully we'll be uh, climbing the ladder to show that sleep can actually help you win yeah. and I think on that note as well we've been we see a lot of these YouTube clips and these video inspirational clips particularly on combat sports and, and interactive sports like rugby and so on where it's these little rise and grind video clips of Nike. Someone getting up and running in the morning and it's nice and dark and you're, and you're up and you're doing stuff before everybody else. I've been saying, forget about that. Stop watching the Rocky movie. It's not up, get up early, rise and grind. It's sleep in and win. That's what we need to think about. We need to increase our sleep opportunity, maximise our recovery to optimise our performance.
0: Really love that tagline, sleep in and win. I think you're on a, I think you're on the right track. Yeah, you're on the right track there. But how do you balance that? So I see some athletes and elite athletes, like Australian rules footballers. You know, they've got a night game. The club's scheduled early morning compulsory training. If I don't show up, I'm going to be scratched for next week. So how do you manage that difficult balance? Yeah, there's two parts. And when you look at this from an industry perspective, it's nearly the same approach
1: for athletes. There's the organizational aspect, and then there's the individual aspect. When we talk about FRMS fatigue risk management systems and we talk about sports performance management systems it's the same thing as well so by doing the modelling like I just spoke about we engage the uh, organisation with the coaches and the administrators and we demonstrate the value to them taking that down a the level then we work with the athletes giving them fatigue education training we also get them their articulatory, articulatory reports and show them how, how, how they're performing and then a lot of coaches have been receptive to that and changed the training times so instead of after these late night games and coming in at half 7 we're now starting to train at 9, 10, 11 o'clock next morning to allow adequate opportunity for these guys to sleep so it's been a kind of a dual responsibility and they're working hand in hand so it's it's definitely um, a shared responsibility just like in other industries
0: And You know in the non-sports industry you know we'd be using cognitive behavioural therapy for example so teaching people good sleep habits how does that fit in in terms of one of the individual things you can do?
1: Yeah definitely and so when we meet individual athletes we are giving them individual um, feedback Um, and that's just between uh, you know sort of uh, us as the researchers and with the individual that stuff is not reported back to the coaches so it's kept it's de-identified and for some of those we also have um, a kind of a a triage of, of some sorts where when we've seen them in the lab we've seen their actigraphy then we refer them to a sleep physician we tell the sleep physician as well you know maybe it's cognitive behavioural therapy yeah. or we give them trend education as well we do some one-on-one stuff with them but maybe additional actigraphy and sleep diary and then we may refer them again yeah. so I think it's constantly engaging those athletes over the season and supporting them as well and we've seen that as well in basketball as well working with the Perth Lynx in Western Australia the same sort of approach works really well keep them involved don't keep the data separate Get them as part of the journey, like we do with anybody. The more information we give people, the more they want to actually change.
0: And so there are sporting teams where you play once a week, you know, rugby. And so you do get a bit of a chance to acclimatise to different time zones and plan ahead. But what about teams with really tight turnaround times, like some of those US teams where it's, you know, different city, different day? How do you manage that? Yeah, I think that's really key. And you see this in
1: basketball a lot to play these double headers. So someone might fly from Perth to Melbourne, play a game in Melbourne, go and play a game in Bendigo, fly back, drive back to Melbourne and fly back, or so on. And the the NBA in America is notorious for that. And we've been talking to the Philadelphia 76ers about the same thing. I think it's again, it comes down to being able to demonstrate um, some of the uh, sort of countermeasures going into the game so I know some people don't like the term sleep banking but giving them extra opportunity for sleep to achieve it so at least you get that as well I think the other key one I've been noticing as well and latching on to is the flights after the game Uh so instead of like getting a red eye out of a city and going to another city allow them to get adequate sleep after that game in that city in that sleeping environment and then the next morning maybe travel to the next next one and the other aspect we're using on or the other aspect we're looking at this as well is how do we use the squad Uh so we've got 35 players in a squad or 40 players like in a rugby squad or AFL squad do we have to send every player to this one game can we kind of send 15 16 to this game or 20 to this game and then come back and kind of split the squad and go again and people you know play around with the travel schedule so you know, it's it, it is difficult to manage and it's hard. But I think leading into the game and the recovery is what we have to we have to be looking on the either ends of the spectrum. Because it's a bit like in in special force operations, we know we're going to hit a really hard period of time and we have to perform at optimal levels. So what can we do before? And what can we do after?
0: So one of the things athletes tell me is you know, just performing really gets their adrenaline up, yeah. really wound up. And one of their hard things is to switch off. Yeah. So, what are some tips for athletes in that regard? There's some interesting work happening with this with some universities
1: and some athletes, and I haven't been involved in this, but I've been I've been watching it with a keen eye. People are using like things like the Mindfulness app. So um, you know, using breathing exercises to relax and recover after the game. We've also been looking at caffeine and the impact of caffeine. So obviously, when you take caffeine, it's got an hour to peak, and they can have a four hour of a half-life or even more with some people depending on habitual use so avoiding those caffeinated drinks before the game you know well before or if you're going to take it strategically take it well in advance so it's peaking for the game and not peaking after the game and that will help you as well I think also um, there's a lot of information coming up about electronic devices and uh, some are conflicting Uh, I recently found in a a study that there was no real effect but I think as well even from a sleep hygiene point of view taking away those electronic devices taking away those stimulus after the game is going to be key as well. So not going out partying, drinking, you know, or watching TV or going back and watching other games that you may have missed or re-watching your game. Using that sort of relaxation technique, whatever it might be, whether it be meditation, having some downtime, you know, and, and, and
0: just relaxing before sleep. And how do you get that balance? Because, you know, I do see athletes and they're very fixated on if I'm not sleeping enough, it's going to impact my performance and my recovery. That in itself can make them anxious yes. about sleep. So how do you get people on board? Sleep's important, but not... so. Important that if I don't get it, it's going to really wreck my performance. How do you tweak that balance? I don't really know I'm still
1: working on it individually with people and some of the things I've said about the education and dealing with people is, is key as well and you know sort of being active on Twitter and Facebook and keep pumping out information and, and the guys follow that and like that so it's very difficult and I think it's I think it's okay as well to tell athletes that every night's not going to be perfect yeah. like we say to anybody you know and you would see this as well David that you know one or two nights sleep is not going to be detrimental you know and you can still optimise your performance the next day but long term for your for your career as an athlete yeah it's good to get good sleep but, but don't stress out we all have bad night's sleep you know we all toss and turn and have crazy thoughts and something plays in our mind whatever it might be but also just showing them at the value of, of the sleep in the short term and also in the long term to have good sleep habits is going to help them you know and I think if we can not only affect these athletes for the short term in their, in their, in their um, athletic career but also for their long term health and longevity
0: Yeah, I really like that approach and it fits exactly with the balance we try and strike with insomnia in clinical practice is, yeah, sleep's important, Yeah, you've got to prioritise it but don't get so caught up about it. Think about it as a long-term thing of being good sleep and getting enough sleep. Don't sweat the the short-term and the, the variation. So you talked a bit about elite teams, and you know you're, a, you know, team with professional players, and you've got a budget. You know, we can do the sort of things you've been talking about. But what if you're an athlete? And you you know, maybe at a state level, and you don't have sponsorship, and you're trying to manage your own performance. What are some things someone at that level could do? I think there's a few things that people could do.
1: I think one is. Um Obviously, there's some there's some great advice out there on the internet, and there's also some crap advice. So I would say to you, if you're looking at um, stuff online, try to find reputable sources, and that's that's really difficult to do in this day and age. So one is find reputable advice, because there's lots of charlatans out there that are giving advice that's completely um, completely wrong for athletes and might make it worse. So I think that's key. No, key no, that's key as well. I think there's three simple tools you can use out there online as well like sleep diaries I think are really good for athletes just making a note of what time you go to bed what time you get up and having a look at your sleep-wake patterns personally um, and then obviously there may be a place for things like you know wearable devices as well however I would caution athletes with wearable devices that can be quite variable and from a research standpoint of view they're, they're not validated and none of these devices are validated or sleep apps but they may be good for helping you kind of roughly quantify the amount of sleep that you're getting but you will find I think in the in the sports world and around the sleep world, if you hit someone up on Twitter or Facebook or on a website, there's lots of good free information that people would give you and be quite keen to share that information regardless of money. You know, we a lot of us are very passionate about what we do and we'd like to share that information. So
0: yeah, that's 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 a couple of cheap ways people can do it. Well you're very active online, so how can people you know hit you up on Twitter or get in touch with the sort of information you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty active on Twitter most days um, at sleep for perform. Um so that's the number four perform or on Facebook at Sleep for Performance. You can follow me there as well. Um, And I'm always on there sort of, um, you know, uh, giving out tips and tricks about sleep and advice and answer questions. More than happy to do that as well. Thanks, Ian. No worries. Thanks, Steph.
0: For the A to Z of sleeping well, head to the hub, sleephub.com.au.